When I was um, in college, uh, one of my roommates, my freshman year, gave me a um, booklet, a little booklet to read that was really an anti-Christian, anti-Jesus booklet. Um, and in that booklet, uh, he, the author was saying that, that Jesus in the New Testament um, actually uh, does not promote um, families. Um, doesn't promote family unity, that uh, Jesus actually promoted um, destruction of, of families. And even said that we were to hate our spouses and hate our parents and hate our children. And I remember reading that and saying, you know, this book is right. Jesus does say that. Those are the words that uh, he uses. In Luke chapter 14, verse 25, which is one of our passages for this morning. And invite you to turn there on page, to page 850 or to follow along on the screen. Let's uh, pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your written word. Speak to us this morning. Tell us what you mean by this and help us to apply it in our lives. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 14 starting with verse 25. Now large crowds were traveling with him, with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me And does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, I didn't quite say it with as much gusto as usual on that one, huh? What Jesus is communicating to us rather forcefully is that He is King and only King and nothing else fits in the room, let alone the throne. That, that He is the one that is above and beyond all things. He is the King and nothing else. But you might look at that and say, well, why use the word hate? You know, why? I mean, that just is going to cause confusion. It's going to be fodder for like the the books that that I um, was was given. Well, it's also terribly and forcibly clear. That when, when Jesus invites us to him, he invites every aspect of our lives and even our most cherished commitments, our most cherished possessions, those things that we hold so dear that can be good, that are good, that the things that he mentioned there were were good things, that Jesus has a lot to say about in other places, and the scriptures do as well, but here he is saying even those good things can become tools of the evil one to deflect us from living in the kingdom of God to living according to the kingdom of God of this world. 
that as we live in the kingdom of God, then that means my complete and your complete allegiance and obedience belong to Jesus. And even the good things, the cherished things, even the things we call blessings, are not to get in the way or distract from following Jesus first and foremost. Now, a little little disclaimer here, and and helps explain this a little bit, of why Jesus would use this word hate. And and it is... uh, we see another place in the scriptures where God uses that, or that's ascribed to God. And that back in Malachi chapter 1, for those of you that like to look those things up, or Romans chapter 9, Paul quotes Malachi 1 and says that where God says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. What does God mean by that? Jacob and Esau are brothers, right? And... and there a lot of sibling rivalry. You can go back to Genesis chapter 25 and around there and go read some of that if you want to. But a whole bunch of sibling, sibling rivalry between the two of them. And, and God has made it clear you know, that, that through what, he, what he's saying to them is that he chooses Jacob to be the one who's going to be the carrier of the rescue of all of creation. And so as he looks at Jacob and Esau, they were twins, and he tells, he tells Jacob, I love you, Esau I hate. What, I hate. <laughs> no, no grammar correction there. Um, the, and what he's saying is not that he has, he's, he has these angry feelings of distaste toward Esau. What he is saying is clearly and forcibly that I have chosen to... Jacob to be the one who will be the carrier of the name Israel, who will be the one whom Jesus is born from this lineage, and he is the one and only one that I choose to bring rescue and salvation to the world. What, what, what God is saying to Jacob is that I'm not diversifying my portfolio here. You're it. All my eggs are in your basket. You and only you, I choose to be the carrier of the salvation of the world. And that's what Jesus is telling us we are to say to him. When it comes to having masters, when it comes to having kings, when it comes to having someone or anything that we obey or that lead our decisions, it is Jesus only. And we don't diversify that portfolio. We don't cover the bases. We don't spread our eggs into a number of baskets. Everything in all our allegiance, our total devotion is unto Jesus. Now, as we follow Jesus, as we give ourselves to Jesus, he's got some pretty strong things to say to husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and children. But in comparison to following him, even the most cherished things in our lives, using Jesus' words, are to be hated. He uses this rather flamboyant explosive, even offensive language to make his point clear. 
Because every kingdom has a king. And the question that each of us answer with every decision that we make is, who is our king? Who is the one we serve? Who is the one that we obey? Jesus is king or he's not king. As it's been said, Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. There is no Jesus being king on some of our, the days of our lives. There is no Jesus being king in some of our relationships. He gives us a hard, harsh, direct, clear statement that Jesus is to be king in all of our dealings every day, every moment of every day. And, as we've been saying, and there are two kingdoms, then there is another, the evil one, Satan, the devil, who is at work to distract us, to lure us away, to tempt us to follow any other king besides Jesus. See, Satan's not a king, as we've said before. He's, not, he's the leader of this kingdom. He's active. He's the prince of this world, but he is not a king. Jesus is the king. If Satan is any kind of king, he's an ABJ king. Anybody but Jesus King. You know, on Saturdays in the fall, there are some of us, some of you here who are ABOSU fans. Anybody but Ohio State. Well, Satan every day is an ABJ, anybody but Jesus. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if you fall down, if you bow down, if if your decisions are led by a lot of good things. He doesn't care as long as it's not Jesus. As long as you aren't walking with Him and obeying Him, He's glad that you're playing according to the rules of the kingdom of this world. Here's what I want you to, to think about. Now, why don't you just take a moment... Take this moment, and in a, in a minute, in a few moments, we'll watch a video that'll help stir us up a little more. But consider those things in your own lives that are most cherished. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Those things in your own lives that are most cherished, whether it's relationships, whether it's stuff, a home, a, a car, whether it's a memory you have, or the fact that you have a memory. It's a skill or a talent that maybe is yours, a particular gift. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your mind. Maybe for some of you, it's your good looks. It's your health. It's a a particular idea or commitment that you're not going to let go of. Maybe it's your commitment to your nation, being, being a citizen. Maybe it's freedom. Maybe it's your own reputation. What is it that are good things, cherished things, that we are to value, that Jesus even tells us to value, but that can become competition with Jesus? That we bow down to those things. We make our decisions based on those cherished possessions instead of Jesus. Here's a a video that helps to illustrate that in a rather pointed, stark way. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. 
Maybe that helped you to see some of the other cherished things in your own life 
that just maybe work their way in to the throne for, for you. I encourage you to write those down. There's some notes around you. There's some, uh, your bulletin. If nothing more, just to write those down. Because in a little bit, we want to give those to Jesus. We, we want to give even those cherished things, most cherished things that can take the throne. That we literally can in our own lives because of our decisions bow down to those instead of to Jesus. Now I've, uh, in being in ministry now over 20 years in, in the church, I have a good number of, of stories. So these stories that I share here, a few of them, um, are not directly from anybody here. But indirectly they might relate. Uh, but I know of conversations I've had with parents and their, their families where school and sports simply became more important than Jesus. The time that they spent with their children doing homework or practicing their fastball or curveball was more important than time in prayer, time in Bible study, time in um, even talking about Christ's time gathering with other Christians. I've been in, in conversations and known and connected with families where they lied and, and stole in order to keep their job. And the reason they gave was because of their love for their family. That was why... They did that. I've been in conversations with, with a spouse. This was a, a wife who thought that her husband uh, thought she needed to do what her husband told her to do. And that was that she needed, um, he, he, they needed to spice up their sex life. So she said, Let, we need to rent some porn. And that's what we need to do to spice up our sex life. So she said she did that out of love for her husband or wanting to keep their, their marriage. I've been in situations where, where folks did what their bosses told them to do even though they knew it was wrong. And the main reason was because they didn't want not only to lose their job but to, to sully their reputation. Because they'd been spending a lot of time and energy and a lot of their life working in this particular field. And if they didn't do it, then it would ruin their job and all that they've been doing. Now, this one does relate to, uh, to here. And it, it happened when um, I first came here uh, because um, first came, some folks said, and this may ruffle a few feathers, it might even pluck some, um, but they said, you know, there's no American flag in the sanctuary. Um, and my response was, well, that's good. There shouldn't be one. And the, the, in the session said, you know, the, the same thing. And the reason is because we want nothing else 
in our worship service that would even compete with our allegiance to Jesus and Jesus alone. I mean, if in this passage he's calling us to, in relationship to him, to hate our spouses and hate our children and hate life itself, then it's certainly going to follow that we're going to hate our nation or whatever else we might cherish and hold in comparison to following him. And maybe one of my greatest pleasures is that some of you are still here even though you directly disagree with me. As I thought about this myself, I thought, well, what, what's, the, what's the one way that I see things that are cherished, things that are good, things that we might even call blessings um, invade in my own life? One, and then two, and which one am I willing to share? (laughs) And one of them is success professionally. And success professionally for a preacher is church growth. Whether it's growth in maturity or growth in numbers. I mean, that's a blessing. Nobody would say that's not a blessing. That's even biblical. It happens all the time and it's a... Affirmed and applauded, isn't it? Unless that wonderful good thing becomes on the throne. And that you you follow that dream instead of following Jesus. That's called idolatry. That's called bowing down to the good things that are blessings instead of bowing down to the one who gives the blessings. And I have a close friend who's in ministry for a while, no longer is, and this might explain why. And the church they had, I mean, they, they had great goals, you know, you, you value what you measure, and that the truth, and that's good, and I believe that, and I, I, I live by that. But they, they wanted so many baptisms every year, and so when December rolled around and they didn't have enough baptisms, then you should have seen the programs that they rolled out in order to get as many people as they could to get baptized. They didn't care if they'd been baptized once or a hundred times. Just get them baptized again. And there was absolutely nothing for them to roll into after they were baptized. There was no sense of growth or maturity or discipleship. It was just baptizing because we've got to get the goal met. A way that a good, wonderful blessing, who doesn't want a lot of baptisms, becomes an idol. And that we, in all of those things, Jesus says, are to hate them in comparison to loving Him, to obeying Him, to bowing down to Him. There are good things and great things that compete with our complete obedience and allegiance to Jesus and Jesus alone. What what are those in your own life? What do you hear the Spirit poking, prodding, hinting, whispering, maybe yelling to you? Again, jot down a word or two that will... Represent that. 
Now, you know, you might also, if you're particularly ornery, might ask, why? Why does, does Jesus demand such obedience like this? Why does he, he demand and, and such a, a stark, forcible statement of us following him above and beyond all else and that everything else is, is out, totally out of the room when it comes to obeying him? I mean, is he an ogre of some kind? I mean, he's an, is he an egomaniac of some kind? I mean, just wants everybody to, to bow down to him? He just wants it his way? I mean, you, you've... Maybe had bosses like that. People on staff here, don't, be, don't say anything. You know, maybe times with parents, you know, their parents have really gone off the deep end and just nothing satisfies them. You know, why does, does Jesus have such a demand and why such a stark, uh, overwhelming, uh, offensive demand here? It's a good question. I love questions like that. And it's not. The answer isn't that most despised answer that we all heard as a child. Because I said so. God could say that. I mean, He's God. But that's not what He says. It's not why. That's sort of a power play. And if anything, the cross teaches us and a crucified God teaches us is that's not what God is into. Power plays. Why does God demand such obedience? It's because God is good and pure and righteous and beautiful and full of life. That is the character of God. So if that's the character of God, then every demand, every command, every word that He gives to us will be good and right and pure and beautiful and full of life. He demands our obedience because He knows what He demands us to obey will only be what is good and right and beautiful and full of life. If God were permissive, if God were only, if that's the nature of God and He were permissive or He was just gave suggestions, then He wouldn't be loving. To say, oh, here are some good ideas for you to do. Try these out. They work really well. That would be unloving for a good, right, pure, life-giving God to just give suggestions. The reason that He demands such obedience, such total and complete allegiance, is because He knows that it's good and right and beautiful and full of life. And everything else that we're tempted by in this world to be our God, our Master and King, only leads to destruction in the end. So we receive God's total and complete command. His, His words to us, we receive it like as we talked about last week, as a helpless baby. A gift to be received and a life to be lived in obedience under the masterful reign of our servant, King Jesus. We obey His good and perfect command. Turn with me to another passage, Matthew 6. 
verse 24. It also will be on the screen um, if you want to just look there. But this is another way that, that Jesus says that the same thing, but in another way, maybe not quite as offensive. But I wanted to lead with the offensive because I knew that would get your attention. I think Jesus did the same, you know. I think that's part of the reason he used that language because he knew that we are dull in our spiritual thinking. That we're easily lulled asleep by the evil one. And so he uses language so stark and offensive to, to awaken our soul again for our own good. Sort of what Fran was saying at the very beginning. That the blessings sometimes are those things that are hard, that awaken our soul, that reveal our need. And lead us to bow down at the feet of Jesus. Matthew 6 verse 24. On your screen. Matter of fact, let's, let's say it all. Let, let's all say it together. No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other. Or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus is the master of all. And everything else is an imposter. That's what he wants us to know. The way we're made. You know, multitasking is a lie. You don't multitask. You just move back and forth from doing different things, but you don't multitask. Every research project I've seen tells us that it's not what it happens. And if you don't believe that, then at least Jesus says you can't multitask who's leading your life. It's either Jesus or it's something else. It's Jesus or anybody else but Jesus. And here he brings out something that I really haven't talked about yet, but that's wealth, money. And he talks about more than anything else um, besides the kingdom of God. It's the subject on him. And it's because money is that most prominent before us competitor to the throne room of our lives. It competes for our obedience. It becomes the reason we do a lot of stuff. Well, I can't afford that or I can't afford that. And that becomes then God. Or why we do whatever we do to get as much of that as we can. And it's one of the reasons that I think an offering is an important thing to do in some way in a worship service. Every, every time to do it, even when we go totally automated, even when we got chips implanted in us, we just had to wink our eye a couple times and money gets transferred from our account to another account. You know, even when that happens, offerings are really important in a worship service because they are an act of rebellion against the kingdom of this world. Because the way to tell money, you are not king, that, I, that, that Jesus is king of the money he's entrusted to me, and I obey him, and he tells me to give it away, and that's the best thing I can do with it. So every time I give it away, I laugh in the face of the kingdom of this world, and I obey the ways of the kingdom of God. We bow down to Jesus in the offering. 
And in this offering, as we're about to take the offering now, offer not just uh, the, the money that fits in the plate, but offer, if you wrote something down, put that in the plate. Now, if you wrote something that identifies you or identifies somebody else, you can scratch it out or tear that part off. But if if you did that, throw that in the plate. Offer that to Jesus, your total allegiance um, to Him. Part of our offering to Him is the money that so easily can try to, to lead us to be our master or the other good things, the other blessings even, that can become our masters, can supplant Jesus on the throne. What competes in your heart and mind for the throne that rightfully and most beautifully belongs to Jesus? To use Jesus' words, hate it, despise it, turn it over to Jesus so that he might totally be king. Amen.